died this year. Christmas is rough already. And now you're stuck in Chicago? When are they going to let you out? What do you mean a blizzard in Chicago at Christmas? Doesn't the Lord know it's his birthday? Well, I'm not, I don't know how I feel about this. I've been preparing for Christmas for weeks. You weren't here. You've been, I know, I know people die. You have to preach funerals. But I just feel like the Lord could have stopped this blizzard so you could have made it home for Christmas. Now we're all disappointed. Yes, everything's done. The tree's done. The kids, they did the nativity for you. Yeah, I'm not sure how you're going to feel about it. But they did it. And they had a lot of fun. It was real, it was real creative. But yeah, well, kids and I, are, we're fixing to do family devotion and Everybody's pretty down. They didn't even want hot chocolate tonight. So I know, I know Christmas isn't about my, my festivities. I know. I'm sorry you are stuck in the airport. I guess you should be the one that feels bad. Are they doing, I gave you a candy cane? Oh, that's it, huh? Are any restaurants open? What do you mean they all went home for Christmas? The airport's full of people. They have a... Oh, Subway's going to cater, huh? Well, that'll be great. Maybe you can still have turkey. Yeah, I love you too, and we'll wait, and we'll do all our Christmas stuff, maybe on New Year's Day, since it'll be two or three days. All right. Yeah, I love you too. We'll make it. All righty. Bye-bye. Kids, it's time for family devotions. Come on in. Just got off the phone with your dad. He's still not coming. I'm sorry. Come on in. We'll still do family devotions, I know, without him. It's Christmas Eve, so we're still gonna, we can do this, okay? So, I know, I know. I've been praying, and even though your dad's not here, and things are a little sad with Grandma not being here this year, and I burned all the cookies because she was the cookie maker. So Jesus has really good cookies this year in heaven. But I thought we would still read the Christmas story on Christmas Eve. And as I was studying it, I was encouraged, but I thought together as a family, I'm just going to read, and then we'll pick out some things, and we'll see if maybe we can find a way to be encouraged. I'm sure that somebody else didn't have cookies when Jesus was born. Maybe. But there's always been good cookies at our Christmas, so. Anyway, y'all get comfortable. It's going to be a little longer than our normal family devotions. And All right. We're going to start in Luke. Do you know where the other Christmas story is found? There's two. We usually read in Luke and then Matthew. That's right. We're going to start off in Luke. During the reign of Herod, king of Jesus, there lived a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and he had a wife named Elizabeth, who was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous in the sight of God, following all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. But they did not have a child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both 
very old. Like old. Like when he went into the temple and didn't come out, people were worried. They weren't worried that he was having a move of God. They were worried. Something happened to Zechariah. He's so old. Now, while Zechariah was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the holy place of the Lord and burn incense. Now, the whole crowd of people were praying outside at the hour of the... They're all watching and praying. An angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, appeared to him. And Zechariah, visibly shaken when he saw the angel was seized with fear, and this was the moment for him to have a stroke. But the Lord sustained him. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. Joy and gladness will come to you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Wouldn't that be a nice gift to all parents? Have all of y'all filled with the Holy Spirit before the terrible twos and threes and fours and fives. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go as forerunner before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared for him. Zachariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? For I'm an old man and my wife is old as well. How do you think she would have felt about that if she had been there? Speak for yourself, buddy. <laughs> the angel answered him, and this is interesting. How do you think Gabriel felt about it when he said that? Are you sure? Listen to what Gabriel said. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will be silent. Unable to speak until the day these things take place. He acts just like your dad when I say to him, are you sure? <laughs> you know how a dad likes that? Yeah. He's, he must be... God was thinking of Gabriel when he invented your dad and created him. Now the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they began to wonder why he was delayed in the holy place, worried about him. When he came out, he was not able to speak to them. Maybe they did think he had a stroke. He went into the presence of the Lord, and he came out unable to speak, and he was old. They realized that he had seen a vision in the holy place. Oh, they did realize he had seen a vision in the holy place. They didn't think it was a stroke. Because he was making signs to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was over, he went to his home. After some time, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months, she kept herself in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me at the time when he has been gracious to me to take away my disgrace among people. Back then, it was a disgrace if you couldn't have children. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent to God by God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was 
Mary. The angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled by his words and began to wonder about the meaning of his greeting. So the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Listen, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I have not had sexual relations with the man? See, she wasn't having unbelief, she was just curious. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, it will be holy, he will be called the Son of God. And look! Your relative Elizabeth has also become pregnant with the son in her old age. Man, you know what everybody thinks of when they think of Elizabeth in the Bible? Oh, Sarah and Elizabeth, that was their mark. Do you want that to be your name? When everybody thinks of Cassandra? Old. No, we don't want that. We have to come up with a new reason she was awesome. Although she was called barren, she is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary said, Yes, I am a servant of the Lord. Let this happen to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary got up and went hurriedly into the hill country. So she left home and went to the town of Judah and entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child in your womb. And who am I that the mother of my Lord should come and visit me? For the instant the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed what was spoken to her by the Lord, that it would be fulfilled." And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has begun to rejoice in God my Savior, because he has looked upon the humble state of his servant. For from now on all generations will call me blessed, because he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. From generation to generation he is merciful to those who fear him. He has demonstrated power with his arm. He has scattered those whose pride wells up from the sheer arrogance of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up those of lowly position. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. So Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months then returned home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to have her baby, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. They had a huge party. They had a massive party. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. They were all so excited for Elizabeth that they decided what she should name her baby. How would you feel about that? If everyone in the church showed up when one of us had a baby and said, we're so excited for you, we've picked out the name. (laughs) Well, his mother replied, no, 
His name must be John. They said to her, but none of your relatives bear that name. So remember, she's old. Let's talk to Zechariah. So they made signs to the baby's father. In crying what he wanted to name his son, he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue released. And he spoke, blessing God. All their neighbors were filled with fear. Nobody said, it's a miracle! They were afraid. And throughout the entire hill country of Judea, all these things were talked about. All who heard these things kept them in their heart, saying, What then will this child be? For the Lord's hand was indeed with him. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, because he has come to help and has redeemed his people. For he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from long ago, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. He has done this to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestors Abraham. This oath grants that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, may serve him without fear. So Zechariah was addressing that. The people were afraid at what God was doing. And he was saying, no, we can serve this God without fear. We don't have to be afraid of the God that we serve. In holiness and righteousness before him as long as we live. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's tender mercy, the dawn will break upon us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child kept growing and becoming strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he was revealed to Israel. Now the birth of Jesus Christ happened this way. While his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband-to-be, was a righteous man, and because he did not want to disgrace her, he intended to divorce her privately. When he had contemplated this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This all happened so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did what the angel of the Lord told him. He took his wife, but did not have marital relations with her until she gave birth to a son whom he named Jesus. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to register all the empire for taxes. This was the first registration taken when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Everyone went to his own town to be registered. What if we had to go back to everywhere you kids have been born? You know, preachers move around a lot. We'd have to go to California, Hawaii... 
Arkansas, Delaware, man, and then back to Washington, we'd be traveling a lot just to pay our taxes. Fortunately, both Mary and Joseph had to go back to the same place. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, because, called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David. He went to be registered with Mary, who was promised in marriage to him and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now there were shepherds nearby living out in the fields, keeping guard over their flock at night. Do you think, do you think shepherds are nice? Would you like to meet a shepherd? That's not how these people felt about shepherds. Shepherds were stinky and poor, and their manners were not quite what everybody thought they should be. So, they're out in the field, and the town prefers that the shepherds stay in the field. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were absolutely excited. You think they were excited? They were terrified. They were horribly afraid. But the angel said to them, which he said to everybody else, what's the first thing the angel says? Don't be afraid. Listen carefully. For I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all people. Today your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a vast heavenly army appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. When the angels left them and went back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Man, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's taken place. The Lord has made known to us. So they didn't pack their bags. They didn't have dinner. They didn't discuss it for a while. They hurried off and located Mary and Joseph and found the baby lying in a manger. When they saw him, they related what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were astonished at what the shepherds had said. But Mary treasured all these words, pondering in her heart what they might mean. So the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything was just as they had been told. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Remember when we were in church last week and the pastor talked about the wise men? Do you remember how many miles he said Jerusalem was from Bethlehem? You guys remember? Maybe a guess? He did have a lot to say, didn't he? I think it was six miles. It was six. Have you ever walked six miles? I have, but only when I'm shopping. (laughs) Or maybe someone's trying to force me to exercise, but I don't think it was six. So it was six miles they had to travel from Bethlehem up to Jerusalem. 
which they could do. There were good walkers back then. They didn't have cars. They were good walkers. So, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be set apart to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is specified in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout, looking for the restoration of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So Simeon, directed by the Spirit, came into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary, according to the law, Simeon took him in his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, according to your word, Sovereign Lord, permit your servant to depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. They didn't even talk to the Gentiles. Yet here he is prophesying that this Messiah is not just for them, but also for the Gentiles. That's us. So we even have hope clearly in the Christmas story. So the child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. I think their eyebrows must have been up for a long time. They were amazed a lot. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, listen carefully. This child is destined to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be rejected. Indeed, as a result of him, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul as well. How would you like somebody to come when you had a new baby and said, some bad things are going to happen and some good things are going to happen, but one thing's for sure, this is going to cause you a lot of pain. Like, I thought that was over. I just had this baby. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. There's only, Mary's young. And there's a lot of old women in this story. Lots of old women. Having been married to her husband for seven years until his death, she had lived as a widow since then for 84 years. Alone, as a widow, I think I would have remarried. I I love your daddy, don't get me wrong. 84 years is a long time. She never left the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came up to them and began to give thanks to God and to speak about the child to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So when Joseph and Mary had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the time of King Herod, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was alarmed. He was not amazed. And all Jerusalem with him. After assembling all the chief priests and experts in the law, he asked them, Where is the Christ? Where was he to be born? Do you think he said that happily? Can someone please find me the information on where the Christ was born? No. He was mad. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for it is written this way by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are in no way least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod privately summoned the wise men and determined from them when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and look carefully for the child. When you find him, inform me so that I can go and worship him as well. After listening to the king, they left, and once again the star they saw when it rose led them until it stopped above the place where the child was. How would you feel if we went to visit, went to find your dad in Chicago? And you asked me if I turned on my GPS, and I said, no, I have a star I'm following. It's going to take me right to your dad. How would you feel about that? You would think I was crazy. You would call dad, wouldn't you? I'm sure that some of these wise men might have had family members that thought they were just a little off. It had a problem. When they saw the star, they shouted joyfully. As they came into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. After being warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back by another route to their own country. After they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to look for the child to kill him. Then he got up right then. It wasn't five more minutes. It wasn't, it's Saturday. He got up right then. He took the child and his mother during the night and went to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod died. In this way, what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet was fulfilled. I called my son out of Egypt. And when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he came enraged. He sent men to kill all the children in Bethlehem and throughout the surrounding region from the age of two and under, according to the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud wailing, Rachel weeping for her children, and she did not want to be comforted because they were gone. After Herod had died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. So he got up and took the child and his mother and returned to the land of Israel. But when he heard Archelaus was reigning over Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. After being warned in a dream, he went to the regions of Galilee. He came to a town called Nazareth and lived there. Then what had been spoken by the prophets was fulfilled that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. And that's the story of Jesus, what we call the Christmas story. But we're not feeling so Christmassy today, are we? Not feeling so happy. So I thought we'd look back just a little bit at the people in the story and find out what they did. Do you think everybody in this story was happy? No. What about Zachariah? How did he feel when the angel told him what was going to happen and how this child was going to be about the, pro- the prophet and of the coming Messiah? What did he say? Remember? Talk loud. Anybody of you know? Anybody remember what he said? No way. He said, no way. <laughs> we are old! He said those words. What are those words your daddy loves it when I say? Are you? 
That's what he said. So an angel comes to him, a mighty angel of God, to direct his life and probably answer prayers they had prayed for a long time. But when the answer came, he said, are you sure? Didn't make Gabriel very happy, did it? As some people say, he pulled out his silencer. He silenced him. Okay, what about Mary? When the angel came to Mary, how do you think she responded to the angel? When he said, you're going to have a baby, you're going to have the Messiah. What did she say? How can this be? She was curious. She didn't know. She's like, I'm not sure what's going on here. And so he answered her, and then she believed him. And then did she say, no, not me. No, what she, she said. Did she say yes? She said, sure. She agreed with the angel. She said, everything you said, let it be. That's a big step of faith right there. Sometimes I read in the Bible, I'm like, Lord, are you sure? <laughs> I don't say, or maybe I do say that, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. And then he says it, and I'm like, well, maybe not that, Lord. That wasn't what I was thinking. Mary didn't do that. So Elizabeth, she's carrying Jonathan in her belly. Not Jonathan, John in her belly. Mary comes in. He jumps in her belly. We don't want to put Jonathan back in the belly today. She's, she's got John in her belly. And how does she respond when Mary comes in? The baby leaps in her womb. She was shocked. She was amazed. She was excited. And then do you know what she did? Whenever she had her baby and they all said, name him Zachariah. What did she say? No. no. We're naming him John. She obeyed. I think that's really important that Elizabeth, not only was she excited about what God was doing, but when he gave her instructions, she was willing to obey. What about Joseph? How do you think Joseph felt when Mary came to him and said, I'm having a baby. It's not yours, but don't worry. It's God's. <laughs> yeah, mad. Think he believed her? No. And he even says after all that he was righteous and he didn't want to embarrass her. So he was going to do things quietly. But an angel came again in a dream. And then what did Joseph do? He said, yes, I'll take Mary. And when he took Mary, he agreed to take the baby and everything that goes with it. Then we have the shepherds, the stinky, smelly shepherds who don't have good manners because they spend all their time with sheep. So what did the shepherds do after the angels came? They ran, they hurried, they looked for Jesus. Do you know what else they did? Did they keep it to themselves and not tell anybody? They told everybody that would listen. They testified about Jesus. They told about all that happened and everything that they saw. And then they ran through town on their way back, glorifying and praising God. You think that caused a stir? People weren't just sitting inside on their phones. <laughs> They weren't watching Netflix. You know what they did for entertainment? Gossip. They knew everybody's business. They went out in the market. They listened to every, they told stories. They, they shared stories, some true and some a little gossipy. And so when the shepherds go running through testifying and praising God, people were like, 
What are, number one, what are they doing in town? Why are they in town? And why should they be happy? They're poor people. They stink. So everybody wanted to know what was happening with the shepherds. Then we have Simeon, who was given a promise. You know how sometimes I tell you I'm going to do something for you and then I forget? You get really mad. And you come back and say, Mom, you said you were going to do this. We're going to oh, yeah, we'll put it on the list. And then I forget. I lose my list. And then you get really mad and you take it to Dad because you know he actually keeps a calendar. And Dad puts it on the calendar. Simeon probably felt that way about God. Had God forgotten him? He's been waiting a long time. God gave him a promise and he has waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. And it hasn't happened. He's so old that when he does get to the Messiah, he's like, well, you can take me now, God. I have a feeling Simeon was like, whew, praise the Lord, this is awesome. Okay, I can die now. He might have been just living a little too long. And then Anna, she listened. She was, she was listening at the temple, and she overheard their conversation. And what did she do when she heard? She heard what they said. She did. She told everybody that would listen, and she praised God. And she was old, too. I think there's something about that listen to your elders thing that this story really supports. Then we have Herod. How, was, how did Herod feel about it? Mad? Jealous? Angry? You know what else he wanted to do? He tried to control the situation. God was working in a big way, and he wanted to control it and stop it. Then we have some of my favorites, the wise men. They traveled a long way. They were travelers. You like to go on vacation? You like to travel? I do. I love to travel. I would have been probably a servant to the wise men. I probably wouldn't have got to be a wise man. I probably would have been a pooper scooper <laughs> behind the wise men in town. But I would have figured out a way to go travel to see this new king. So where do you think you're going to go if you're going to see a king? Where do you go to see a king? A castle. A palace. So they go to the palace to see this king, and he's not there. They're excited. They've reached the end of their journey. Oh, maybe some of these servants at the palace can do some of the work. People that are with them are probably thinking, it's time to relax. So how do you think the the wise men felt when they didn't see the Messiah, when they didn't find him. They could have been mad, tired, disappointed. Everything they thought was going to happen about the Messiah wasn't. So instead, they found him where? In a house? Do you think they expected to find him with kind of an average, hardworking family? They traveled all this way. What are they going to tell the people that were mocking them when they left? You're going to find a Messiah because of a star. You know there's always those people. I don't care where you lived, what time, what century, there's always somebody going, you're doing what? Are you sure? So instead of telling the story about going back to this amazing palace and finding this king, this savior of the world, they can tell them that the star reappeared and that was amazing, but... There was a creepy, murderous king in the castle. 
there was a young boy in a house with hard-working parents that was the Messiah, but then they had a dream, one or all of them, and they had to sneak away. They couldn't even rejoice publicly. They had to get out of there to save their own skin. It's possible that they expected to worship the Messiah in the throne room instead of a living room, just like us sitting right here. The wise men could have knocked on our door right now. Maybe, as, maybe their family was doing family devotions. Maybe they were talking about the scripture. And it was like... And in came these kings with their entourage. And all the neighbors were peeking out. What is going on? Because you know, that's what they're doing. They don't have nothing else to do. So they're peeking out the windows. And there's these wealthy people knelt down worshiping the neighbor's kid in the living room. And he's getting presents and it's not even his birthday. And someone probably, why couldn't they come to my house? What makes them so special? Why'd they get all that? So the wise men sought after the Messiah. They followed a star. But the Bible says they were filled with what when they found him? Joy, with all the possible disappointments, with all the possible broken expectations. It says the wise men were still filled with joy. They traveled all that way to find a king in a palace. And they found a little kid in a living room. And they could have said, oh, you know, I think one gold coin's good enough for him. And maybe we'll just give his mom a small bottle of frankincense and a little bit. He doesn't need all this. Somebody's going to rob them and kill them. It will save the Messiah's life for us to not give him all these treasures. They could have been so disappointed that they walked away. But they really didn't care that their expectations were broken. They they looked past any disappointment. And what did they do? They worshipped. They gave gifts. And then they obeyed the dream that they had. And they got away. I think it's interesting that we're really disappointed this Christmas. I want your dad to be here at Christmas. I, wanna, I want grandma here. And I don't get it. And you don't either. But when I read the Christmas story, I see that it's filled with people that have endured disappointment, grief, loneliness, poverty, People that have waited a long time for a promise that only came right before they died. There's people that have traveled a long way this season. There are people that were rejected by society in this story. People that lived in the hills with sheep. Jesus' birth included young married couples and old married couples. Kings and prophets. Each person in the story had different expectations of who the Messiah would be, how he would come, and what he would do for them. And then each person had to choose how they would respond to the Messiah. Whether his methods disappointed them, shocked them, left them in disbelief, maybe the Messiah exceeded their expectations like the shepherds. They weren't expecting anything. So it was an amazing, amazing thing for them. 
maybe they were filled with joy. Or maybe, maybe like Mary, some, they were left wondering, what is going to happen next? Today, our little family's not any different. We have suffered this year. We have disappointments. Some things make us afraid. Some of you end up in, bed, in our bed at night because you're afraid. Some of us are dealing with grief. Some of us feel the need to control our situation. Some of us are angry. And some of us have lost hope, and we don't know what tomorrow holds. But at the same time, we have joy, laughter, excitement. We can praise the Lord. We can worship. We have testimonies to share and gifts to give. So our family today has to decide. Our Messiah has come. Our salvation has arrived. But things haven't happened like we thought they would. So how are we going to respond to the story of our Savior? I think we should pray together. I think we should share our disappointments with the Lord. And then we should spend a few minutes in worship. Has his story become yours? Each of the people in the story of Jesus' birth had their story eclipsed by his. Mary's story was never about Mary again. Elizabeth's story was never about Elizabeth again. The wise men never, never went back to the same story they'd had before. Even Herod's story was never Herod's story again. The shepherds, Simeon, Anna, every single person in the story at that moment of the entry of Jesus, they faced a totally different story. I ask you again, has his story become yours? There's a reason that two of the gospel writers felt that in order to tell you the gospel of Jesus, that which would save you, that which would transform you, that which would return you to right standing with God, they had to first tell you how he came. They had to tell us how he was born. They had to tell us how he impacted 
the lives of his mother and his adopted father, how he impacted the lives of his cousin, John, and his two elderly parents, how his life intersected with those who were the richest and those who were the poorest, how it intersected with kings, priests, and prophets, how it intersected with men and women, maybe even a little drummer boy. No, I'm kidding. Sorry, that doesn't work. You see, when Jesus shows up, he wants you to allow him to make your story a part of his story. But you have to choose how you're going to respond. You do not control when he shows up. You do not have the ability to determine when he arrives. You do not have the ability to determine what he says to you and how he moves into your life. But today, you've heard the Christmas story. What we scholars call the birth infancy narrative. The real point today is not to hear it and go, that's nice. We're really at Christmas time. But it is to ask yourself afresh, has his story become my story? Or perhaps the better way to put it is, is has Jesus been allowed to take over my story? I don't know how to explain this to you, and I'm going to struggle to get these words out before I open this altar up for you to pray. And I've said this in different ways to different people, but I, I feel within God to share with you my story. Yes, I was born the son of a, of a preacher man. My parents believe, and I have no reason to disbelieve it, that I am a miracle baby. They also were old, though not as old as Zachariah or Simeon or Anna or Elizabeth. But the doctors had told my parents that they could not have a child. It was not physically possible. Whether something adjusted, broke loose, fixed itself, or God moved miraculously. The bottom line is, folks, I am not a mirage. I'm here. <laughs> and if ever you have wondered if I'm a mirage, just hang around with me a little bit and you'll find out. For better or for worse, I'm very real. So there's a sense in which my story has always been about him. 
Because my very existence goes back to something that he did that brought me into existence, even beyond the normal creative process of a man and a woman in their contribution to the birth and the conception of a child. God had to do something additional. But even in my story, in that miracle, I had to allow him to make my story his story. I don't know if it goes back to this miraculous piece of my birth. But from a young child, I didn't want my story to be his story. Can we be honest with one another today, even in this Christmas season, even in this time of perhaps good memories and positive things? Can we be honest with ourselves that deep down inside of every one of us, there is at least a portion of us that says, no, I don't want you taking over my story. I don't want you owning my story. Jesus totally owns the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the story of King Herod and the wise men, the story of the shepherds and Mary and Joseph. He completely eclipses their lives. Their lives to us mean nothing except as characters in his story. Now, can I just be transparent with you, folks? so that you can pray with honesty to this king that we know as our Savior. Can I just be honest with you? Somehow, instinctively, I wanted something different than that. At a very young age, I began to ask my dad. I remember sitting in cars and asking my dad questions like, can't I just, I didn't want to go to hell, so can I just be a normal Christian? I don't know what that means, but in my mind, I think, I sensed that God wanted to take over, and, and I, I didn't want to be taken over. I, I just wanted, I wanted to go to heaven, but I wanted to be able to do everything else my way. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not interested in splitting hell wide open. I'd like to be saved by the baby, but can the baby then just leave me alone? Does he have to make such a fuss? Does he have to cause such pain at the same time? That's joy. Can I retain my own story? So I, I struggled with this question. Then I reached a point, some of you have heard this at 12 years of age, that I heard my father late at night in the family room crying out to my Jesus, saying, God save my boy. And not because I love the baby, not because I love the Savior, but because I didn't want to lose my mom or my dad. I crawled back into my bedroom and I said, God, I will serve you. But I continued to negotiate how I would serve him. I kind of get, I get Zachariah. Zachariah's like, 
this plan doesn't sound very good. I get Joseph looking at Mary and going, something's off on this. And yet, what I'm asking you to do this morning, to at least consider, I did at 16. I crawled into the back corner of a camp meeting. Nobody saw me. I promise you, nobody saw me. I was away from the pack of young people that were there. I was back in a back corner with my nose buried underneath of an open-air tabernacle. And I told God, use these words, but I'm going to use them this morning. Okay. My story can be yours now. Whatever you want to do, it's not my story anymore. It's now yours. You understand that your pastor's story is all about the kingdom. And it will be that way until the day I die. I don't do it now because I don't want to lose my parents because, frankly, I'm facing losing my parents in the next few years. Because they are old. No, old. I don't do it because I'm afraid of hell. I'm not interested in going to hell, but I don't do it because I'm afraid of hell. I can honestly tell you, I do not do it because I'm afraid of hell. Somewhere each of these characters in this Christmas story decided that their love for God mattered more than their story. You've heard the Christmas story this morning. The question in front of you, do you love God more than your story? Are you willing for his story to take over your story? These altars are open. Would you in this Christmas season come?